So, a hit series, and hopefully it will be a hit. So, um, we're going to hit the Word of God. Are you ready for the Word of God to hit you? And I really mean that. Are you ready to open your eyes, your ears, your heart, your mind, and uh, not just think, well, here's another message about the Word of God and its importance and a verse, but really to allow God to speak to you to hit you. To hit you right in the heart. Before we look at the verse that um, we will be focusing on, I want to just uh, take a step back and look at some verses that talk about the importance of the Word of God. Because it's not just a matter of, well, we're Christians and we should read the Bible. There's some amazing things that the Bible says about itself. In Deuteronomy 6 4, listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This verse is saying, immerse yourself in the word of God. Make it part of all that you do. In one sense, make it commonplace in your house that you talk about God's word. You talk about it in the car. You talk about it as you're tucking the kids into bed or as you're having meals. Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Now, we can fill our days with many things. It's not hard to have a very busy day, is it? But are we filling our days, are we investing our time in things that will last forever? Or is our time going to what is temporal? The word of God lasts forever. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This isn't talking about just skimming over a few verses to ease your conscience. Yes, I've flicked through my Bible today or this week. But when was the last time you really allowed God to shine into the innermost corners of your life through his word? To really convict or challenge you to cut out those parts of your life that you know are not right. When did you really allow the word of God to hit you? 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. When was the last time you went to the word of God when you were uncertain about something? Not sure what was right, what was wrong and allowed God to teach you and to show you through his word so again the challenge we have a hit series will you allow God's word to hit you will you allow God's word to hit you so the passage that we have as just mentioned is from Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 15 I'll read it through Luke if you want to block your ears where are you Luke oh he's out the back Quick, let's read it together. Can you put it up, Cameron? 
He's doing kids ministry. Ah, well, we haven't even got a rush. Do you have the version that I gave you, cameras? What I've got? Oh, that's it. Okay. Here we go. Truly, let's read together. (laughs) Here we are. Let's go. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Okay, now the word is, we didn't do that. But it's good to read the word of God. And I want to encourage you to continue to read that. Whether Luke's here or not, I'm sure he won't really mind, will he? (laughs) But it's a good thing to do and it's just challenges. Let's see if we can go at memorising that as well. But the focus verse for today is verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself, clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, to get a full understanding of the context of that verse, um, let's just find a bit about the book of Colossians. So uh, the city of Colossae was uh, an important trading route. It wasn't a large town, but it was on an important trading route And it formed a meeting place for people from a number of different regions and cultures. So because it was on this trade route and so many different people would come and go from the town, the visitors brought with them their own beliefs and philosophies. And the young Christians in that town were used to mixing lots of different viewpoints and began to incorporate all these different philosophies into their newfound faith. Now, there's a word that's used to describe that, and it's called syncretism. And that's a combination of different beliefs, not holding on to one belief only, but combining different kind of beliefs and holding them all up on a par with one another. So for the new Christians, the result was, yes, there was this Christian truth that they were beginning to understand, but they were combining that with a bit of this and a bit of that and weakening the Christian faith and finding it hard to understand really what was truth. So Paul wrote this letter to urge the Colossians to take a fresh hold of Christ and to realize that he was the one who was completely supreme. There was no place for other beliefs. And I guess even today with the pressure of being politically correct and the pressure to be inclusive of any other idea that's out there, it's our challenge today as well, isn't it? that we have to realise that Christ is supreme and the truth that he teaches stands alone. I've heard people say they like to choose elements of different faiths and different ideas and different beliefs and live their life based on what suits them best, according to a philosophy that they've created for themselves. But Christianity isn't one option in a smorgasbord of beliefs and faiths. 
you know, I have a little bit of this and a side serving of Jesus on the side and a helping of this. And I'll uh, fill my plate with what I think suits me best and uh, what I think I'm going to enjoy. Christianity is the main meal. Simple as that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's a straight and narrow road. There's not a lot of chance for varying and going off on side tangents. And we're not at liberty to pick the bits we like and push aside the bits of Christianity that we don't like and find hard to digest. It's the total package. Christianity has its joys and it has its sufferings. And I think Paul, who wrote this letter, would have known that well. He actually wrote this letter from being in prison in Rome. But in this letter to the Colossians, Paul talks more about Jesus Christ than in any other of his letters. Jesus is central to the message in Colossians. He reminds the new Christians that their past life is gone. Christ is now their life and he should be supreme within that life. Jesus has made them free from rules and evil powers. So after beginning the letter that way, pointing out the supremacy of Christ, Paul then goes on to teach the Christians how to live in this new life. And this is where we connect with chapter 3, verse 12. But in the early verses of chapter 3, Paul lists what should not be part of their lives. Let's have a look at some of those verses. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. I love that expression. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. The things that you know, the things that have been brought into your culture and to weaken your faith are not realities. Find what the reality of heaven is. Where Christ sits in place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. He reminds them again, for you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ. Paul then goes on to say that things such as earthly desires, sexual immorality, anger, greed, hateful feelings, insults, obscene talk, lies, etc. are all things that belong to their former lives. When their life is dominated by themselves. But now Christ is supreme. Their life is dominated by him. And our focus verse, verse 12, brings us a reminder of what that means. Let's have a look at that verse again then. He starts off in that verse reminding the Colossians that they're God's own people, holy and loved. They belong to God. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Let's just pause for a minute. Do you know who you belong to? Do you know that you are holy? That you are loved? That you are God's own? Do you really know that? I'm not asking if you know what church you attend or if you know what Christian friends you have or what church roster you're on or what Sunday school you attended as a kid. It's not about all the peripherals of the Christian faith. But when you're on your own, 
in a quiet moment, just you and God, do you really know that you belong to him? That you are holy, that he loves you, that you are God's own. If the Colossians really knew that, then they would seek out the truth. They wouldn't act or believe anything contrary to God's way. I guess we hear enough on the TV, don't we, of sports stars or fans who act in a manner contrary to the code and bring the game into disrepute. But as God's people, let's know who we belong to and let's not be guilty of also acting in a manner contrary to his calling or bring his name into disrepute in any way. So Paul is gently reminding the Colossians they belong to God, they are his holy people, dearly loved, but as such there are standards and expectations placed on you in order to live a life worthy of that calling. Living under the banner of being a Christian and being God's is not business as usual. It does change, I call us to make changes. And in verse 12, we can see some of the expectations that God has for our lives. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over the next few weeks, there's even a longer list coming. So you might expect now that I'm going to look at those things, tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But I think we already know what those things are and why they're important in our life and relationships. The thing that really stood out to me when I was looking through this verse and thinking about it was the phrase, clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. Now when you clothe yourself, when you dress, it's a very intentional and conscious thing that you do. Obviously for modesty, for protection, whether it's against the rain or against the sun or against the cold, for safety if you work in a dangerous environment, Uh, for practicality and comfort, uh, to portray a certain image that uh, you feel is important. So we make decisions about how we clothe ourselves according to where we're going and what we'll be doing. What about this morning when you were getting ready for church? For some of you, I guess it would have been a matter of picking up yesterday's clothes from the floor, a bit of a shake and tossing them on, maybe sniffing the armpit just to check they were still workable. They laugh because it's true. For some it would have been going outside, checking the weather, realising it was raining, as hot as it cold, ironing some clothes, putting them on, thinking maybe this doesn't quite suit, uh, putting them aside, ironing something more, checking to see whether it all matches okay, um, looking at different combinations, and you've left to come to church with a whole pile of clothes on the bed that you had tried on but you uh, haven't had time to put away yet. But regardless... We take time and it's intentional when uh, when we clothe ourselves. We think it through. But I wonder what else you've clothed yourself with this morning. What kind of attitudes are you bringing? Are you looking out the door thinking, oh, it's wet. There's that picnic food in the back of a car again. It's just going to get wasted. (laughs) Are you thinking it would be a perfect morning to stay in bed? Is your attitude, hey, it's Sunday. Let's jump up and get into church and meet people and worship the Lord Um, what is it that you've clothed yourself with aside from what you're actually wearing 
And what thought do we give to God's wardrobe? He provides all these things and says, clothe yourself. When do we make a conscious decision to put on tender-hearted mercy, to put on kindness, to put on humility, to put on gentleness and patience? Today, no matter what comes my way, I'll be patient in my responses. When I meet up with that person who's rough and abrasive in the way they talk with people, I'll be kind and gentle with my comments. I will put that on. I will wear that kindness and gentleness. As I consider how to approach the person who upset me through the week, I'll aim to be merciful rather than seek revenge. Instead of giving them a piece of my mind, I'll give them a piece of God's love. Now your initial response might be, well, I'm just not a very patient person. That's just how God made me. That's fine for someone else. I know I'm not very gentle. I'm too realistic for that kind of stuff. If you're thinking, well, that's not me, I want to challenge you. Where is your mind going? Look at what the Bible says. You are God's chosen people. You must clothe yourself. Paul doesn't write, if it suits you, be kind. If it suits you, be gentle. Or not, if they do it to you first, then you respond that way back to them. It's a requirement. You must clothe yourself in this way. Others might respond here this morning saying, well, yeah, that's me. I've been tender-hearted and humble for many years. Come on, Graham, get on with the message. (laughs) But when it comes to consciously clothing yourselves with the wardrobe God provides, let's not fool ourselves into thinking we're more than what we are. Romans Verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, verse 3 says, Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by faith God's given you. As I was thinking of that phrase, clothe yourself, the story by Hans Christian Andersen, the emperor's new clothes, came to mind. That story is about an emperor who's very proud and conceited and pompous and rich. And he has a reputation for spending more time in front of the mirror in his dressing room than he does looking after the affairs of the people that he governs. And one day, two swindlers come to town. And they know of this emperor. They know of his vanity. They know of his pride and his love of fine clothing. And they tell the emperor that they can weave, using the most amazing threads, the best material and fabric in the whole land and sew together these amazing clothes. And uh, the emperor is very, very interested. But they tell him that they're not just ordinary clothes. These clothes are invisible to anyone who is a fool or is not worthy of their position. They're only seen by those who are of high and right character. So the emperor pays them a large sum of money And they set about pretending to work on these clothes. Day and night, they can be seen sewing and using the looms to weave, but they can't see any thread. It's all invisible. The emperor decides to send some officials to check on the progress. He doesn't go himself because he's scared he might not be able to see this special material. The officials go and the swindlers take out this invisible, amazing thread... The material, of course, no one can see it. 
But the officials, not wanting to think that people, sorry, not wanting people to think that they're foolish or not worthy of their position, go along with the pretense. That's amazing. Incredible colours. That will suit the emperor so well. And they come back and give the emperor a positive report that all is going well. So finally, the emperor himself goes along to have a look at the work that these people are doing. And of course, he can't see anything because there's nothing to see. But he also is caught in the pretense. If he says, I can't see it, then he will be considered a fool or not worthy of his position. So finally, the day comes when the emperor parades his new clothes down the street. And the swindlers come bringing these amazing clothes. And the emperor's there in his undergarments. And they carefully dress the emperor. And they make the final alterations and adjustments and see how it's hanging and fill the emperor's mind with praise. The emperor then steps outside, walking down the main street in his undergarments. And all the people who know of this all comment how wonderful these clothes are and how impressive they are and how fine he looks and how they've never seen anything like this in all the land until one child says, he's not wearing anything. And of course the emperor, taken aback by that, is still caught up in the situation and has to continue along in the parade in his underwear. So when it comes to clothing ourselves with the wardrobe of God, ready for the service of the king, let's not be fooled. Let's not be fooled. If we don't show the qualities that are listed there in verse 12 and fail to recognise that, then we're wearing invisible clothing. We are the ones God loves. We belong to him. So the least we can do is dress appropriately. And of course, clothes are also an expression of who we are and to whom we belong. And there's certain expectations that go with that. Think about if you um, are walking along and see a policeman in uniform, or a healthcare worker, um, or a tradesman, or a king or a queen in royal robe, or a business person, or a, a sport player. They can be identified by what they are wearing. They're ready for action and we have expectations of how they'll behave. And it's the same for us as Christians. People identify who we are and once that's identif we are identified in that way, then what we wear and how we respond and how we react must reflect the love of Jesus. But don't be fooled into thinking this is just about appearances. It's not just what we do on the surface. It goes much deeper than that. It's not about pretending to be what you are not, but becoming the person that God intends you to be. You can imagine a teenager dressing themselves in McDonald's uniform for their very first work shift at Macca's. They head off. They may not feel like a McDonald's employee, it's the very first time they're not exactly sure where to go and what to do and how it's all going to work out. But they're wearing that clothing. And over time, they certainly will feel like a McDonald's employee. And it's the same too for us. It mightn't seem right to put on the clothing that God provides us, gentleness and kindness and patience. But God wants us to grow into those clothes until we fit them. But remember, while we're doing this and putting that effort in, the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts as well. 
We know that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. How many of those things do we read in uh, Colossians chapter 3? So it's a double whammy. God says, clothe yourself with these things. Put them on. Consciously decide to do these things. But at the same time, let God's spirit work in your heart and produce these things from the inside to the outside. So I guess when I look at all of this, one word stands out to me, and that's the word intentional. God showed his love for us by intentionally allowing Jesus to be born, to live on earth, to teach us, to suffer death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be with him. It was planned, strategic, carried out with great intent. didn't happen by chance. Our response to this is also intentional. We choose to accept the free gift of salvation and then make daily choices in our lives to live for Jesus. With intent, we study the word of God. We hit the Bible and let the Bible hit us. It won't happen by chance. With intent, we take time to come before him in prayer. It won't happen unless we make it happen. With intent, we choose to serve him and follow him. With intent, we clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience in order to be a channel of his love to those who are around us. And I think if we allow our faith to be anything but intentional and purposeful, then we run the same risks as the Colossians did. We run the risk of allowing it to be watered down by other ideas and philosophies and things that can destabilise the truth. So my final challenge to you this morning is let's set our sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. And as we travel this week, let's dress appropriately. Let's think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Let's remember that Jesus is supreme. He died to bring us into this life. Let's intentionally take time to allow God to reveal his new life in us through his word. I'll get Cameron to put that whole passage on the uh, wall one more time. And I'm just going to leave now and go and sit back down and finish up and allow you just to silently read through and see what it is that God is saying to you in this verse. And then uh, after a few minutes, we'll get the, uh, the band to come back on stage. So... Let's just silently contemplate the word of God.